Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton and Chad Withrow. OutKick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody. Yeehaw beer, old smoky moonshine with Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us across the OutKick network. Pleased to be joined by former Georgia Bulldog quarterback Aaron Murray, who is back on the show. We had Aaron on pre-season where we kind of figured the Georgia Bulldogs would be in this position. He joins us today presented by Twisted Tea. They created a limited edition University of Georgia pack that is now available in local stores where fans can buy it across the state. Aaron, good to see you, man. Welcome back and uh, congrats on your Bulldogs yet again uh, running it back. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. And uh, yeah, no, I'm excited, man. It's been a, it's been a fun season. Uh, it, it's, it's. I hope Georgia fans aren't getting too comfortable with this, and I, I don't want to get ever to that, that Alabama phase where we just expect to be. And I guess you should expect to always hope to 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 get to a playoff berth, but um, I just don't want us to turn Alabama fans. So no, I'm, I'm excited. It's gonna be a fun holiday season. Excited for next weekend. Excited, to, you know, kick back, relax, uh, drink my limited edition twisted tea, have some fun, uh, and hopefully enjoy Georgia. We'll up on Ohio State. So we're, we're 10 days away from the college football playoff. Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU. How concerned should Georgia fans be that they drew Ohio State, not TCU, in the semis? Well, it's a team that I didn't want to face. Uh, I think, obviously, they got big news when when one of their top receivers, Jackson Smith and Jigba, decided not to uh, to come back for the game. I was like, thank goodness. Like, the last thing I want to face is, uh, is C.J. Stroud, Jack, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, and Marvin Harrison Jr. So uh, I think that was a big sigh of release for, for, for Kirby um, and, and, and Georgia Nation as they get ready for this football game. But, you know, listen, we, we've seen – hurt Georgia over the past, you know, two seasons is is at times a vertical passing attack. And and I know they look good versus Tennessee. You know, Hendon missed a couple shots down the field, which I think obviously benefited Georgia. And if he would have executed on on one, if not both of those, you know, maybe it's a different game. Maybe it's a little bit closer a game. I think Georgia still wins it. But um I do feel comfortable knowing that hey, you give Kirby and and Muschamp three four weeks to prepare for for an offense. You know, I think they'll be plenty fine to go out there and execute. And you know, anticipate you know Jalen to go out there and put a lot of pressure on CJ. You know, the one thing that that gives me confidence, and it's a little bit different than say like last year versus Alabama, um, and even you know versus versus LSU, is the fact that CJ is not a very mobile quarterback. You know, the thing that that Alabama had success with is they they were able to create explosive plays down the field, but you always had to worry about okay, where where is Bryce Young? Is he in the pocket? Is he out of the pocket? You know, we have to make sure that we stay in our rush lanes. You know, essentially with CJ, and yeah, he's a little bit mobile, but man, you just give those guys a green light. You tell them, hey man, you go get after him. You don't have to worry about him really extending the play with his legs. I think that frees up that defensive line to 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 to, to essentially hit that green light. And uh, you know, not give him a ton of time in the pocket to be able to throw the ball vertically down the field. 
Aaron Murray, our guest on OutKick 360, also different than last year. At this time last year, we were discussing Stetson Bennett and whether or not he should yep. be the quarterback going to the college football playoff. Not discussing him at all in, in that regard. It's the opposite. So if Georgia, if there is a weakness to be concerned about, what is it on this Georgia team? Oh, man. Uh, there's, there really isn't there. You know, at times, the receivers have, have had some struggles. You know, Ladd, middle of the season, had some some issues with drops and fumbles. You know, I think he's come back and has played really, really well. I thought he had a great game there uh, in Atlanta versus LSU. Um, it was good to see AD back on the field. Obviously, he wasn't a, a huge impact. But I think getting him now back and, and with Stetson for the past three or four weeks to, to to continue to work on some of the timing and chemistry and get him involved. So I do want to see these receivers take their game to a level that we saw last year, especially A.D. Mitchell, to take some pressure off Stetson, to take some pressure off you know, the tight ends and Kenny catching the ball in the backfield. Because then all of a sudden, as a defense, you're saying, okay, we just can't focus on Bowers in Washington. We just can't focus on, on, on Kenny McIntosh out of the backfield. We also have to worry about McConkie and A.D. Mitchell at that point, that you don't have enough good defenders on the back end to be able to match up with those guys, and you know Stetson and and and, and uh, Todd Monk can do such a great job of of schematically figuring out where the one on one matchups are, where the weaknesses on defense, and then Stetson going out there and doing his thing. You mentioned Alabama earlier, Aaron, and I'm amazed that both Will Anderson and Bryce will play in this game and not opt out. It's one thing not to opt opt out of a playoff game, which no one really is unless you believe some of the reports on, on Jackson Smith and Jigba. But regardless, I'm still shocked that those guys are going to yeah. play in this game. It, we in the media are sort of conditioned never to question a player for opting out of a bowl game before their NFL future, for their own personal well-being, all of that, financial uh, future, all those things. Put your player hat on, though. If your top receiver uh, opts out of a New Year's Six game and you're going to play in it and you've got an NFL future also – how do players view that decision? Is it any different from us in the media? Well, first off, I'm, I'm with you. I was very surprised when those two decided to come back, and I'm just sitting here as a, as a college football fan uh, praying that they don't get hurt because if they do get hurt, you may never see a top guy uh, playing a bowl game ever again unless it is a playoff game. But I think it's a, I think it's great for them. I hope they go out there and ball out. I hope they go out there and and and, and four months get drafted in the top five. And you know we're we're talking about how awesome it was that they finished the season off with their teammates. But you know the thing that I could talk to is how much fun the bowl week was like, I'm on a group thread right now. And we've been talking all week um, with, with my former teammates and, and, and roommates back at the university of Georgia. Two of them are our coaches uh, at, at the, at the D one level right now. And they're on their bowl trips and they're taking pictures of some of the activities they're doing. One of our guys is in, in Hawaii taking pictures of the beach. And then all of a sudden that, that gets in the conversation about our bowl trips and how fun they were and how exciting they were. Like the game is great. But the activities you get, it is a free trip with your boys to an awesome destination to have some fun, to cut it up for one last time before essentially half your team goes away. Um, I just think that these kids are missing out on, on why did you start playing football? When you were five, six, seven years old, why did you start playing? Well, because your boys were playing. Because an opportunity to go hang out with your teammates or your buddies, whether in school or your neighborhood buddies, to go in your parents' backyard and play some one-on-one -on -one or pick up football, that's why you played the game. And obviously, we get to a point where then it's all about money, 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 money. But at its core, you play the game to have some fun and be with your boys. And the bowl trip is the exact 
closest thing to that. Um, so I, I, I feel bad for the kids that, that, that miss out on that one last opportunity. Um, but I'm with you. Like you can't fault a kid for, for wanting to, to essentially play it safe a little bit. Aaron Murray, our guest presented by twisted T on outkick 360. Aaron, well, you mentioned, uh, Chad mentioned Bryce young, CJ Stroud in some order. Those are the consistent top two quarterbacks that will go pro. Do you see the, the same qualities in Will Levis that the NFL draft analysts, the scouts, they're talking about right now? Or do you see a quarterback that Chad and I have discussed that has produced very average results considering expectation and climbing the ladder, so to speak, from last year to this year? Should we expect more from Will Levis at Kentucky versus what they're going to expect from him next level? Well, First of all, the traits are there. I mean, he's a big kid, big arm, athletic. He's a competitor, um, gutsy, a little bit too gutsy, and, and, and wants to put his body at risk a little bit too much. And obviously, the turnovers are a big issue. Like that, that's QB one on one. Like the first thing that that every coach I've ever been around talks about is taking care of the football uh, from the quarterback position. Obviously, he's had his big time struggles doing that. But you know, scouts will Google Gaga over him. You know, the one thing that didn't help is just the. The, the, the pace and type of system that he ran at Kentucky. I think the problem is you look at all these other quarterbacks and they're running, you know, up-tempo offenses, spread offenses. They're throwing the ball 40, 50 times a game. They're throwing four or five touchdowns. And, 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 and you know, we get so accustomed to say, oh, he must be a great quarterback because he threw for four, you know, 40 touchdowns, 50 touchdowns. And you look at Will Levis and he doesn't have those stats. I'm, I'm less concerned about the yardage. I'm less concerned about the touchdown just because his offense really didn't give him that ability to, to create those plays at a consistent you know, rate. I'm more concerned about the turnovers. Like that, that is a big concern for me at that next level or any level. Can you take care of the football? But you know what? I, I honestly, I don't love any of the quarterbacks in this draft. Uh, I would, I, if I was a quarterback or a team that needed a quarterback, I would lean a little bit more towards CJ Stroud. I love Bryce Young. I love his game. Um, you know, I was looking at, at McShay's board the other day and he's like, oh, he's six foot. No, he's not. Uh, Bryce Young is about 5'10", 180 pounds. Like, you know, Kyler Murray's small, but Kyler's pretty thick. Uh, Russell's small, about the same height, but Russell also is pretty thick. Bryce, I'm a little bit concerned, even though I know he's mobile and whatnot, of, of just the beating that that next level is going to take, especially with more and more games that they're adding at the NFL level. Um, I think CJ's a, a, you know, I don't love the fact that he's not as mobile, but I, I like his ability to be in the pocket. I like his throwing. I know there's the knock of, oh, no Ohio State quarterback can play well at the next level. But I would go CJ1, Bryce 2. And then after that, I don't think any guy deserves to go in the first round after those two. And it's funny you say that about Ohio State because that was Alabama for years was the knock yeah. that Alabama quarterbacks don't, don't succeed at the next level. One guy who's not small at quarterback is Hendon Hooker. And he is the opposite of Will Levis in the offense he played in where he had all the numbers and he had the fast break offense and he took the deep shots and didn't also have a lot of dropbacks under center in that offense. So when you look at Hendon Hooker as a pro prospect, I know the ACL tear at the end of the year certainly does not help him, but what do you see in terms of NFL potential? Oh, I like Hendon. I, I would be interested to see if a, a team in the late first round um, maybe with a veteran quarterback who wants to pick up Hendon or someone maybe trade into the, the late first round in order to get him. Um, I've been around him. I've covered a couple of Tennessee games. He, he's a great competitor. 
Uh, he's, he's bigger and stronger than you think. You know, his ability to, to shed tackles and, and extend plays with his legs. Obviously, the deep ball accuracy is awesome. You know, the one thing that that really stands out to me, and you, if you, you really go watch him, a lot of balls are high, especially intermediate throws, like anywhere from like, like that 10 to 15 range. Balls at times tend to sail on him. Um, you know, saw some tip interceptions. We've seen receivers having to jump up and go catch it. So that, along with the system, worries me a little bit, but I think he has a lot of really good qualities that teams want uh, at the next level and, you know, put my feet to the fire. You know, we talk about the two other quarterbacks in the first round, you know, Will Levis and uh, Anthony Richardson. You know, I, I would bank on honestly taking Hendon Hooker over both those guys in the NFL draft. I think he's more pro ready. I think he takes care of the ball better than Will Levis. Um, and I think Anthony Richardson is a project. I think Anthony Richardson is the guy to me, I thought he he should should stay for one, if not two more years at Florida to continue to develop. I think he's doing himself a disservice by going to the NFL. I think he's going to be, be put in a situation where he has to play early, and I don't think that's good for him or the franchise. Or if he goes to a place where he sits, that's also not good for him because the kid needs reps. He only played, what, 13 games as a starter at Florida. He needs to play football. And... Either situation, the NFL is not going to be good for him. Sitting's not good, and being put out there and, and essentially not succeeding early on, as we've seen from quarterbacks in the past, I think is going to do a lot of damage to his potential. Aaron Murray with us on behalf of Twisted T. Outkick 360 continues, and um, the the early ser- early period signing day going on, and the, the the transfer portal from a quarterback perspective. It allows the QBs to find the the right fit if coaches are moving around, so on. But I also wonder, Aaron, from a QB perspective, does it make it harder to actually develop these guys now? If they're bouncing around program to program, going next level to the NFL, do you think we're going to see more of the, more of the same, more of the recent results from quarterback classes where they're not really living up to the hype so much as we'll see one guy make a big play here or there, but no real franchise difference makers to this point? Yeah. Well, I do think next year you will see two franchise different makers. Like I, I, I joke, like I was, you know, if I'm Houston, I'm finding a way to tank uh, for Caleb or Drake for next season. Like I think those two are significantly better options than what you're seeing this year. So no, I still think at the end of the day, like the, the, the big power five schools are, are going to be on the top of a lot of kids lists, you know, whether it's kids in high school or the, the, the transfer portal to come in and, 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 and wait their turn and go out there and have success. And then, you know, you know, take their chance at the next level in the NFL. But I don't know. I, you can, I, I kind of look at it like this, like, you bounce around the NFL a lot. You know, a lot of guys don't stay at one franchise for forever. You know, you see guys moving around. You know, I think the the ability to show, you know, NFL scouts and GMs and coaches that hey, I've played in this system and this system and this system. I, you know, my freshman year I was in a pro system under center. You know, my sophomore year I was more of an RPO system. My junior year I was in this system. I think it's it's it 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 shows your ability to to learn to pick up. Uh, to develop as a quarterback. So I kind of look at it as, as, a, as essentially more of a positive. So there's some dispute on the numbers because we've heard different things, but you mentioned Drake May, and there's been separate reports. One, that it was $4 million he was offered by two SEC programs. Pat Narduzzi goes on radio in Pittsburgh and says it's $5 million. Said he wasn't going to name the programs, but we all have a pretty good guess based on other reports. It's two programs that are competing annually for national championships, Alabama and Georgia, and two programs that are losing a veteran quarterback this offseason. When you hear that, Aaron, you know, separate of NIL and, and that whole issue, do, do you think that's good for the sport when you hear that Drake May is being offered $5 million to transfer? 
No, because I don't like what NIL has become. NIL was intended to be what the, be the, the professional athletes do. Hey, you ball out and the local restaurant or Gatorade or, you know, Dr. Pepper wants to give you some endorsement deal. You know, you get to enjoy that because you deserve it. This isn't, Hey, I'm a ex university and I have, you know, I'm the New York Yankees and I have this salary cap and I can go out there and pay for Aaron judge and all these top players and compared to, um, you know, the, the Tampa Bay Rays just to play more money ball because they don't have the salary. Like that's not what it's intended for. And, and that's what it's become a lot because of some of these collectives and, and, and essentially uh, I would like to call just, it's a GoFundMe. That's all it is. It's a GoFundMe. It's hey Hey fans, we have a million fans. If everyone just puts in a, you know, five, $10 per month into our GoFundMe, we can go out there and buy the best players in the country. Like, no, that is not at the heart of it. What NIL was intended for. I, I hate it. Um, unfortunately, like I don't see it slowing down because of the rules and because of the arm's length distance in which these collectives are uh, from these universities. They will continue to find ways to 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 get into these players' ears and say, "Hey, come on over to University of X, and we'll pay you the five million dollars." Where it's not really the coach doing it; it's not the university; it's the collective. So, um, yeah, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. It's not what NIL was for, but uh, unfortunately, I, I don't see it changing anytime soon. Hey, man, in, in this day and age, though, if you were playing, you'd be able to, to rep anything you want, much like Twisted what tea. you're doing with Twisted Tea. Yeah, yep. uh, and the limited edition Twisted Tea for Georgia fans is out. Tell us about it. Yeah, so uh, first off, um, I'm a big tea guy ever since I got to the state of Georgia, so it's good now of age. I can enjoy it with a little bit 5% alcohol in there, but uh, they've done a great job. Excited about this partnership. Uh, limited edition, you see it right over my shoulder, uh, packs that you can find all over the state of Georgia. So, you know, I'll be, um, I don't know if I'm going or not. Maybe if I'm tailgating, I'll be enjoying it, but if not, I'll be on my couch uh, come uh, New Year's night, enjoying some Twisted Tea, watching the Bulldogs uh, kick some Ohio State butt. TwistedT.com for more info. Hey, you know this. The Big Ten with two teams in, they're going to get two cracks at Georgia. If they go 0 for 2 in this, mm. oh, man, the, the, the bragging rights, guys, is well, going let me, to be massive. Let me give you a little preview. Uh, they're going 0 for 2 against yeah. this Georgia team. I, I, don't, I don't think there's any doubt about hey, that. I'm sure Aaron hey. probably agrees. Well, I agree with that, but I honestly like don't sleep on TCU. Like I'm, I'm, I'm still not convinced that that JJ McCarthy uh, is good enough to win a championship. I I do think this is a a football team on the offensive side. I like obviously their offensive line just won, you know, the the award for best offensive line in the country. But um, I know he played great versus Ohio State. Those dudes were wide open uh, over and over again. I think TCU have a little bit, and they've improved on the defense side of the football, a better game plan to make Michigan one-dimensional. Uh, and I think their offense is good enough to score some points with, with you know, Duggan and and, and, and Junkins on the outside. So, I, you know, I think Georgia rolls versus Ohio State. I think they're the more physical team. I think their offense will go out there and excel. Once again, I, I don't sleep on TCU. I, I'm not a, a believer just yet. Uh, and J.J. McCarthy and his ability to win big-time football games uh, against a, a quality opponent. Aaron Murray. I'll say this consistently because he did beat Ohio State, but consistently. Yeah. Aaron Murray has been our guest. Always great catching up, man. Great visit as, as usual, and uh, let's do it again soon. Appreciate you guys. Have a great one. Thanks, right, Aaron. Same, same to you. Uh, again, twistedt.com for more info there. Uh, big thanks to Aaron Murray coming up. Clay Travis joins us from one of his handful of beach homes. Uh, and probably really close to the private jet that he took there. He's next on Outkick 360.
Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Been a real fun show today. Outkick 360 continues from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Our thanks to Aaron Murray for joining us, Shannon Terry, Bobby Carpenter, and all of you from across the Outkick Network. Six states is where you can hear us in radio. And, of course, you can live stream us each day at outkick.com. With Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton. We say hello to Clay Travis, who joins us from uh, his beach home in Florida. Uh, Clay, I, I said I didn't know which beach home at uh where we'd be contacting we appreciate uh the, the visit how are you i'm good i'm not actually at our beach place it's not warm enough there right now i'm all the way down <laughs> oh. in key west so uh <laughs> i am uh as the rest of the country begins to freeze uh it's 80 degrees and i'm sitting in mallory square about to watch the uh, sunset uh here so uh for people who've been to key west and mallory square um, that's where, Chad, uh, that's where I am right now. Chad, why did I have a feeling that he was going to prove me wrong yet again? Yeah, You knew that he was going to one up even your question about multiple beach homes. Yes. Clay, have you scouted any property while down in Key West? Or are you going to buy another beach spot there? Yeah, I've looked around. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, I, uh, I've got two in Florida already. I think, uh, I think I'm good here. Um, and, uh, I'm not sure, you know, the beaches are not spectacular in Key West. Um, so, uh, not sure it's the ideal permanent location, but certainly in the winter, um, I mean, this is about as perfect of weather as you can get in the continental United States. Clay, I saw you post from the bar. I, I don't, I, forgive me. I don't remember the name of it, but the place that Mike Leach would frequent when in Key West, one of his favorite spots. And I know you mentioned that he's got a bar stool named after him in this place. Just another one of the many cool things about Mike Leach. And I know you, you posted from that bar. Yeah, Captain Tony's for uh, people. It's an iconic bar uh, in Key West, right by Sloppy Joe's, which is another iconic place that uh, Ernest Hemingway, I mean, they're old enough that Ernest Hemingway used to drink there, uh, those bars. So uh, uh, they have stools with famous people's names on them uh, that they've written on the top. And one of them is uh, Mike Leach, uh, another one, Urban Meyer. Uh, but the last time I was here last year, Mike Leach told me to go in that I would like the bar. I did. Uh, and actually, the last time I texted Mike Leach was to see if he was potentially going to be down uh, in Key West at all while we were here. Um, and uh, he told me he wasn't before Christmas. They had the bowl game, uh, but that he was planning on spending most of January here uh, because he loved it down here. And uh, obviously, that's not going to happen. Uh, but that was literally the uh, the last text exchange I had with him uh, shortly after the Egg Bowl because I knew we were going to be down here for a week um, and uh, and was hoping I'd be able to meet up with him. Clay Travis with us. We just had Shannon Terry in studio with us, Clay. Uh, we're all uh, real good friends with him. And he, he throws out there, hey, uh, four to five years from now, NIL, the, the business itself will be around four to five billion dollars compared to the multi-millions we're seeing right now. If that's the case, will we see a players' union? Will we see a CBA of some sort? Where are we headed if it's going to be that quick around the corner? 
Um, well, they, they, look, there are a lot of complicating factors associated with the union. Um, uh, um, among them uh, is that everybody has to be considered an employee. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the typical way the union works, um, and this is no great uh, revelation, but the union is not typically designed for the highest earning. Right now, most NIL money, almost all of it's going to a tiny sliver at the very top. Uh, the people, quarterbacks, uh, elite talents that would be able to get deals. But most of the money's not going to, you know, the grunts. Remember, there's 85 scholarship players on every FBS team. And there's probably 50 players, I would venture, certainly 100 or less, that are making like 95% of the money. Um, so there's complicating factors in terms of all the different leagues having their own rules, all the different states having their own rules. Remember also that some places allow high school kids to start getting paid for NIL. Um, So what I have said makes the most sense to me uh, is using the existing hospitals. So every major college town has a hospital by and large, that's the university hospital, right? Um, Those university hospitals, though, have mostly all been spun off. They're no longer owned by the universities, and they're run for profit. So what I have said makes sense to me is if you look at university athletic departments purely from a business perspective, the only ones that really make money are football and men's basketball. And then the money that those programs make, they rotate into all the other scholarships. So if you are, let's say, a men's track and field member or a women's swimmer, you, from a financial perspective, would not deserve a scholarship. But because football and men's basketball, by and large, makes so much of the money, that profit, instead of going to the men's football and basketball players, goes to fund the entirety of the athletic department. In other words, if you think of an athletic department as like 20 different businesses, If your goal is to make a profit, you would only have like two athletic teams, right? And so what I have kind of thought might happen at some point is you spin off the athletic departments that are making money. Uh, The athletic department does basketball and football in some way. And I can see a system where you have basically a for-profit institution where Tennessee football, let's say, or Ohio State football is owned by shareholders and is run for profit. And then one of the shareholders, for instance, is the university. The players then are all employees subject to a collective bargaining agreement. And much like an NFL or NBA franchise, uh, all of those are run uh, in an order to maximize profit. You can buy and sell the franchise. I can see that making sense, again, using the individual hospitals as a, uh, as a guideline. But you would have to have, um, you know, uh, a, a employee-employer relationship in order to create a CBA. And again, I'm going into a lot of detail here, but the CBA is allowed because a union represents the players and negotiates um, with the larger entity, right, the, the, the team. Uh, or the league. And the reason why a CBA exists and is not considered antitrust is because the collective bargaining agreement is an exemption to antitrust law. Because otherwise, if you said 
hey, we're only going to pay every team has a salary cap of $100 million, that would be an antitrust violation. But when it's collectively bargained, it's considered to be an exemption to existing antitrust law. That may be way more complicated and way more detailed than most people are interested in. But, uh, you know, the end result is that if you are on the minimum wage scale of a team, you end up doing far better. If you are a superstar, you end up doing much worse. In other words, LeBron James would make $100 million. Uh, but the lowest salary now in the NBA is six or seven million dollars a year. Those guys would never make six or seven. LeBron's basically giving his money to the lower tier uh, of the union, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it's a great explanation. Clay, when Charlie Baker, Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker, is named the next president of the NCAA, do you have any reaction to that, or do you just think the NCAA doesn't really matter until they decide they're going to have some sort of head of commissioner of football, commissioner of men's basketball, you know, the sports that make money that we just talked about. Well, the NCAA is hoping that Congress, which is kind of laughable for anybody out there who has a lot of faith in Congress, is going to come in and nationalize the NIL rules. Uh, because right now you do have a bit of a mess, right, where Florida has one state law, California has another one, and we haven't really gotten into it too much, but you could see a world where state legislatures begin to pass NIL rules that benefit their local state institutions. And you could have the University of Florida trying to recruit at a disadvantage, let's say, against uh, the uh, University of North Carolina because of the difference in North Carolina and Florida NIL. So to me, hiring a politician or a retiring politician uh, seems to me to indicate that the NCAA is still hoping that they're going to get some form of resolution from the existing uh, Congress. <laughs> Again, I don't have a lot of faith that Congress can get hardly anything done right now. And even if you did have a lot of faith, how high on that list is, hey, let's get concerned with name, image, and likeness national legislation. I just don't know that it's very high on the flowchart of congressional focus. Steve Cohen is a billionaire, Clay. There's no doubt about that. He's going to spend $495 million on this Mets team this year alone. That is $150 million more than the record high payout for a Major League Baseball team in one season. That's also about 4.6% of his net worth, and that is it. Um, what do you think about this strategy for the Mets and Steve Cohen, and I, it feels like it's almost laughable if they don't win the World Series, if they're spending $150 million more than the second-place team. Well, this is why the other leagues have salary caps yes, and why Major League Baseball players don't want a salary cap in their league, right? Because what everybody looked around and said was, you know, if there's no salary cap, then ultimately the richest guy is going to win – the majority of the championships because he can put way more money into player salaries than everybody else can. Um, and the business of pro sports in general, if you break it down, which I think is kind of fascinating, actually involves not putting your opponent out of business, but making your opponent as competitive as you can so that the quality of the competition, which is the essence of the business itself. And so I'll unpack that. If you own McDonald's and you're next to Burger King, 
you would love to put Burger King out of business because then you're the only place that's selling hamburgers, right? If you put your competitor out of business in athletics, you don't have a business anymore because the competition itself and the quality of the competition is what makes the business exist. And that's what the NFL has kind of realized is that parity, the idea that one moment you can be the worst in your division and the next moment the best is the best way to maintain interest across fan bases. So Major League Baseball has always had this challenge where you know the 10 or 12 wealthiest teams could spend drastically more than the other you know 18 teams. And certainly it seems like Steve Cohen, who is super rich, uh, has decided that you know the thing that he would like to do is win a World Series for Mets fans for the first time since 1986. And he's willing to spend money, even though he may lose money on the business because that is worth it to him. And so that's the challenge that Major League Baseball has and why being one of, I believe, 30 Major League Baseball owners can be frustrating because ultimately the richest guy wins more than the team that might have the best organization. Clay Travis with us, Outkick.com, and of course uh, joining us from Florida uh, by phone. Clay, uh, the Phoenix Suns, if you had me to list franchises that are in the NBA that would go for $4 billion plus, the Suns are far further down the list than, than I could name right now. I could rattle off 10 franchises, I feel like, in the NBA before I would get to them. And maybe maybe I'm clueless on that. How, how surprised were you on that number itself, a, a, a $1.5 billion roughly more than the previous record for the association? And am I right in thinking you have some type of relationship with either the owner or a family member there? Yeah, the, one of the owners is my buddy. Um, so uh, we went to law school together. Um, and, uh, you know, you think you're doing well uh, in life <laughs> until your buddy decides he's going to buy a pro sports franchise for $4 billion. Um, but he's an awesome guy. Um, and uh, he's been shopping and trying to buy. They were one of the finalists, he and his brother, uh, one of the finalists for the Broncos. And they're now buying the Suns. Um, and the way that so I, I would not want to own a pro sports franchise right now unless I was so rich. Like I'm at Mallory Square right now and they always say, if you have to ask how much a yacht is going to cost, you don't have enough money to buy a yacht. Right. Um, and so the way you have to think about professional sports franchises to me is ultimately you're buying a piece of art. Right. I mean, that's basically what it is. So you can hang that piece of art on the wall. The business value, in other words, the cash that you're going to make is not the most efficient way for you. But if you own a pro sports franchise and you have owned it, they've never been cheap, right? Every time when Jerry Jones bought the Dallas Cowboys, you guys can look up what it cost. $90 million in 1988, I think is roughly what it cost. Everybody said he was crazy. How in the world can you justify that price for the Dallas Cowboys? Well, the Dallas Cowboys are probably worth $10 billion now. Yeah. It was like one of the best investments of all time. But one of the things that we have is this illusion that pro sports franchises have ever really looked cheap in any of our lives. Uh, what I have found is super rich people enjoy buying things that only super rich people can afford. So... Maybe the music stops at some point, but it feels a lot like buying a Picasso 
or buying, you know, a Van Gogh or something. There aren't very many of them. Uh, and there's a lot of demand for them. So I think the way you end up making a money on a pro sports franchise is not actually from running it and deriving greater value from a dollar, you know, cash flow perspective. It's that if you told me in 40 years that an NBA franchise or an NFL franchise or Major League Baseball or whatever might sell for $20 billion, I wouldn't say that that's crazy just because I'm bullish that super rich guys are going to continue to get super richer and there's only so many things they can buy. There's only so many elite fraternities that you can join. There's only, what, 100 really high-end pro sports franchises in America and there's a lot more than 100 wealthy people. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't choose from a business perspective, but I bet they make a lot of money when they sell it in 20 or 40 years. $140 million is what Jerry Jones paid for it, and I, did, I forgot the number. Uh, but I remember, Chad, you and I were talking with Jerry at the Super Bowl, and I asked him, is that the biggest risk? Were you the most nervous? He was like, no. He was all in at that time. Yeah. Every dollar to his name went to the Cowboys. And now it's worth $10 billion. I think he said he wasn't that nervous. Now, and, and, yeah, if what, what, he said yeah, it wouldn't be a top way, five 10, moment. Yeah, 10 may not even be the right number, right? Because, again, it's like yeah. a, something is worth whatever somebody else is willing to pay for it. And so, uh, you know, somebody might be willing to pay $20 billion for the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, like that, uh, that is, to me, the value play is, what I have found is whatever rich people want is probably a good investment because rich people's income is going up at a faster rate than normal people's income. So, you know, whatever you're buying, uh, if, if I look at what, you know, beachfront property cost a decade ago uh, in Florida, it wasn't cheap then, but it looks cheap now. And I would bet 10 years from now, 20 years from now, that same trend line is going to remain the same. Clay, Merry Christmas to you, Laura, the kids, uh, and uh, your parents. Um, I thought the post was really cool, by the way, with you and your dad on the plane. Um, re- really cool. Yeah, and, I've uh, got fourteen. I've got fourteen. Fourteen people down here. So, that's awesome. Uh, we've got a, a have family down here. So yeah. uh, we've been down here for a week. Thanks. You'll you have, couldn't have you couldn't have six sixteen. Yeah. You'll have you'll have eighteen in uh, about uh, twenty four hours. We'll see you soon. Yeah, we'll see you in Mallory <laughs> Square, wherever the heck yeah. you are right now. Clay, thanks so much, man. Merry Christmas. Yep. Merry Christmas to you guys. I'll see y'all. Yeah, there's Clay Travis. Clay Travis, man of the people. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing about Clay is, man, he doesn't stop working. He, I, I sent him a text this morning on my – I was getting boarding a flight. And I'm like, are you cool to join us today? He was like, oh, yeah, we're, we're good to go. Just phone only. So he's like poolside somewhere. Yeah, it's uh, – Clay does not detach ever. No. There's never a full, hey, I'm going to be gone for 10 days or two weeks or three days or – the weekend and I'm not going to respond or I'm not going to be tweeting or I'm not going to be working at all. Uh, he's constantly doing something. That, that's for sure. Some movement in the odds for defensive player of the year in the NFL. We can dive back into MVP with Jalen Hurts and the shoulder injury and the latest there. Uh, plus, we'll go through some other injury headlines across the National Football League. That's next and Outkick 360. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Glad you're with us. Been a fun show. Fast-moving show. Great guest. Wednesday edition. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network with Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Paul Kaharski reports that Ryan Tannehill is very likely done for the season with the ankle issue, the injury that had him carted off last week against the Chargers. He then returned to finish the game. But if that's the case, then the Joshua Dobbs signing means more than just a bridge to get Tannehill back for the end of the season, which in all likelihood, I think, leads to a win-and-end scenario for either the Jags or the Titans in Week 18. But also keep in mind that now Malik Willis is your starter, and the Texans play the Titans. I know they won earlier this year with 17-10, but the way the Texans have been playing, if the Texans win over the Titans and Jacksonville wins Thursday against the Jets, and we'll know that result first, the Jags are going to be leading the AFC South with two games to play because they, even though they have the same record, hold the, the head-to-head tiebreaker from Week 14. Hutton, I called it. comeback. I, 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 I shouted it, and it came true on Sunday during our postgame show after the Titans game. The Titans should sign Josh Dobbs. And it happened. They went out and they signed him off the Lions practice squad. I think Josh Dobbs is a better option right now than Malik Willis. He's uh, going to have to learn the playbook. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, yes, I'm saying maybe yes, not yes. right now as in this Saturday, but a week later... Against the Cowboys, I think he's probably going to be a better option. This is terrible news uh, for a Titans team that's lost four straight. And um, I, I don't know how. Has that line dropped? They opened a seven-point favorite. It's five. I would jump all over the Texans on that line. All over it. Even with one win, I'd jump all over the, the money line Texans. Chad, Justin Jefferson and currently Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is my... MVP. You can read the weekly column for the NFL Awards Watch at Outkick.com. Um, Hurts is the MVP. He's hurt. He's injured. We don't know if he's going to play Saturday afternoon, 425 Eastern kickoff between the Eagles and the Cowboys on Fox. Um, so that puts Patrick Mahomes in line to win his second MVP award across the league. But I... I think right now Nick Bosa is Defensive Player of the Year ahead of Micah Parsons. It's the first time that I haven't had Parsons number one. And Bosa continues to outplay him to a point where you cannot ignore it anymore. He has had three, I know for sure two, maybe three sacks that have not counted, either due to penalty, which was away from the play, or due to roughing the passer, unsportsmanlike conduct, that took away a, a sack pick six for the 49ers or an interception for the 49ers, that would have counted on his resume as well. He leads the NFL right now. He's already tied his uh, mark from last year with three weeks left with 15 and a half sacks. Bosa right now, he's the best defensive player on the best def- defense in, in the NFL. And I, I previewed him and Jeffrey Simmons this past June as two players to watch based on the Aaron Donald contract from L.A. and the Rams. Bosa's going to break the bank. He's in his fifth-year option right now. He's making roughly $10 million. I think he has the. I think he has great p- potential to be the now highest-paid player in the history of NFL defense this offseason. And you can read Hutton's uh, column at OutKick.com. That's right. Hutton, there's a, history has been made this afternoon. 
and not many people are following this story, but Iowa lost to Eastern Illinois in basketball. Iowa, this was this afternoon, was a 32-point favorite. Eastern Illinois was ranked 363rd out of 365 Division I teams. There are people scouring the the books right now, but this is from Chris Hassel uh, on Twitter. This is at least the biggest basketball point spread upset in 30 years. They lost by nine, and it was never that close. They lost 93 to 84, and they were a 32-point favorite. What was the line actually up to? Did it like increase during the game, and then we saw Eastern Illinois come back and win? Oh, or no, no, no. I know, I know it was from start Eastern to Eastern Illinois beat the hell out of them. Oh, they did? They said they were winning the whole time, and they ended up winning by nine. Oh, nine. They just won. I mean, there was no fluke. There was no they got ahead, and Iowa came back. They were just ahead So this was the Iowa finish. football offense yeah, for basketball. And, and I think in the Ken Palm ratings, Iowa's 21st. They were 363rd. But it was a 32-point spread, according to Vegas. Vegas always knows, but they didn't know here. That Incredible. The Hawkeyes weren't going to show up. Um, Rob Gronkowski also being retweeted a lot right now as we speak because he tweets out, I'm kind of bored. Well, what he shouldn't have done when he was bored was go into that 80 for Brady movie. That's one of the worst <laughs> things I've ever seen in my life. That trailer is so good. I'll give you a good movie trailer to watch uh, tonight when you're at home. Oppenheimer, Christopher Nolan's latest film. That's going to come good. out next year about the man who created the atom bomb. Terrific. Great movie trailer. Um, that's one I would recommend. Do, do not watch 80 for Brady, uh, the trailer or the movie. That would be my advice. Yeah, don't even come near the trailer. I really, the, the trailer is so bad, it disturbed me. It's one of those trailers where you watch, and I'm thinking, who is this movie intended for? What is the target audience of this film? I need to show it to my parents Nine to five. see if they laugh. It's that era. Yeah. Those that saw that in theater. Will Dolly Parton even watch this? And no. she was in 9 to 5. No. Does she laugh at this? We're back I at it Dolly's tomorrow. I think smarter than that. Plenty of... Football discussion. We'll hit all the headlines with you across Outkick 360 and the Outkick Network.